We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Flying solo tonight. Chris is on assignment. He is in a different time zone. It is late. It is after the 49ers have beat the Seahawks 21-13 to clinch the NFC West. And I'm going to talk to you about it for a few minutes, and then we'll record another podcast uh, later on this weekend. But first, we're sponsored by Cooper's Brewing. You can visit the brewery out in Santa Rosa. Go pick up some beer before the playoffs, which the 49ers have now clinched. Pick up some beer. Take it home. Save it for the playoffs. Don't save it for the playoffs. Do whatever you want with it. But when you're there, hang out at the brewery. It's a great place. Good beer, good food. Great place to hang. If you can't make it out to the brewery, that's okay. You can order a case online. And you can order a case of Candlestick Chronicles. A third batch has been brewed. It is available at cooperagebrewing.com. Must live in California. Must be 21 and up, of course. And go to cooperagebrewing.com. Order your beer. Get it delivered to your door. Get it delivered and then have a case for the playoffs because that's where the 49ers are headed. Cooperagebrewing.com. Let's talk about some football. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. sound like it normally does. I'm recording this in my office on a spare microphone. The 49ers have beaten the Seahawks 21 to 13 up in Seattle. They're the NFC West champions and I'm not 100% sure where to start because you can talk about what Brock Purdy did in a tough environment on a short week or you can talk about what the 49ers defense did yet again There's individual playmakers across the board who were stellar, but I'm going to start with Brock Purdy because this was a test. I'm a believer now. I wasn't out before, but there were boxes I needed to see checked. He comes in on short notice against the Dolphins and leads the 49ers to a 33-17 victory. and looks pretty good doing it, right? But how does he look in his first start? Well, 
Looks very good against Tampa Bay. Leads into a blowout win over Tom Brady and the Bucks. Cool. Check that box. It was at home. This was... The tests don't get a lot bigger than this. In the regular season, anyway. It was a short week. It was a road game. He was hurt and didn't throw at all during the week. Didn't practice during the week. He didn't throw until a ballroom walkthrough Thursday morning. He was hurting so bad that the 49ers limited his pregame warm-up reps. And then he went out there and helped the 49ers win a football game and was very good doing it. He was 17 of 26, 217 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did take a sack. He could have thrown one interception. It was dropped by Quandre Diggs. But overall... Very good, in a tough spot. And I believed that there was a point in the first half where the wheels could have really come off. Where he missed a couple of throws and just kind of started to look a little bit wobbly. But what makes me a believer in Brock Purdy, and he, he's not he's not going to be a quarterback this, uh, that, that throws for 350 yards a game. Like that's just not that's not what this offense needs, and I just don't think that's the type of player he's going to be. But the fact that he rallied back and came up with a big third down throw to Juwan Jennings late in the game, 49ers backed up against their own goal line, third and seven, drills a throw into Jennings between a linebacker and a corner, converts the first down, gives them a little more room. They wound up punting, but got him out from the shadow of their own goal post. That's a big play in a big spot. Third and one, 242 left. The Seahawks have a timeout. The 49ers facing a third and one. Niners go play action pass. Nothing there. He keeps it, beats the linebacker to the corner, slides down, gets the first down, keeps the drive alive. They never give the ball back. And that's ahead by eight. That's a one-score game at that point. That is such a massive, massive play from any quarterback, much less a rookie making his first road start on a short week in an environment as tough as Seattle. That was an unbelievable game. Again, I, I'm not I'm not going to talk numbers with Brock Purdy. His numbers were fine. You can call him good if you want. I'm not going to nitpick. But the stones he showed in the biggest spots of that game are why I am now a firm believer that this version of the 49ers, with Brock Purdy starting in his rookie year, can go to the Super Bowl and win it. I wasn't quite there. But there's no more tests. Like if the if the wheels fall off and he hits a wall and they lose the rest of their games, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they do, like he's passed all the tests, and that's just kind of what happened. I don't there's there there's nothing else I need to see where I'm like I don't think he can do it. I've seen it. I've seen him go to Seattle in this spot, a very tough spot, and win and play well. And part of the reason the 49ers don't need a ton from him is what we saw from Christian McCaffrey tonight and the help he gets on that offense. George Kittle, vintage George Kittle game, four catches, 93 yards, two touchdowns. That play design on his first touchdown, the fake swing pass to Ray Ray McLeod, and then the fake screen to McCaffrey and then the throw to Kittle, just wide open across the middle of the field. It's so hard to get Kittle that open and he was that open twice. So, I think that the fact that they did this without Debo Samuel helps justify to anybody who had doubts about the Christian McCaffrey trade 
And should you give up that much for a running back? Should you unload four draft picks? And should you pay a running back that much? All those questions, they got answered. This is why they got him. Because in the biggest game of the year, he carries it 26 times for 108 yards and a touchdown. He catches six of his eight targets for 30 yards. His six catches were the most on the team. His eight targets were the most on the team. He allows them to survive without Debo Samuel. I don't know what the 49ers do offensively if Debo's out in this game and they don't have Christian McCaffrey. It's probably a lot of like Tevin Coleman, and that's not getting it done. It's just, it's not. I don't think they win this game without Christian McCaffrey. You can make the argument that they don't win the Bucks game without Christian McCaffrey, but I'm not going to go there. I'm talking about the Seahawks. I certainly don't think they win this game without Christian McCaffrey. So, if there's any doubt about why they made this trade or any questions about why they made this trade, they got answered. They've been answered. And if they continue winning, they've now won seven in a row. They've won all seven games that McCaffrey has had a full-time real role in. The one exception was that Chiefs game where I think he played like 20 snaps. Like, this offense is just different with him in it. And it's certainly different with him in it when they don't have Debo. Night and day. And if they're going to get that from Christian McCaffrey, and they're going to get this from George Kittle, Jawan Jennings, once again, three catches, 31 yards, a couple of third-down conversions. Brandon Ayuk had a couple of catches. Pretty quiet game from him. Ray-Ray McLeod added a 16-yard catch. Tyler Croft added a 28-yard catch on a really fun design late in the game. This is just a team that is going to be very, very difficult to deal with offensively, even with Brock Purdy. Because that's always been the thing. This is a run game. This is a run first, defense first team. And that's not a slight to the quarterback. They just don't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen or whatever. Like pick a top five or six quarterback. And that's okay. You can still win with a great defense and a very good running game and a quarterback who's doing what Brock Purdy is doing. He's converting on third downs. He's not turning the ball over. And I think he's heady enough that the pick he almost threw to Quandre Diggs tonight, he's going to log that in his brain as an interception. And he's going to learn from that and he's going to get better. So I'm much more optimistic. I was already optimistic, but there was a lot of caution to that optimism. I'm removing some of the caution. There's always going to be cautious optimism when when it's a rookie. I don't care what round they were picked in or what number they went. Just like, oh, it's a rookie. You saw Mac Jones last year, started off great, hit a wall toward the end. So that's always going to be there, but that's just that's just built in, that's baked in. It's not a Brock Purdy specific thing or a 49er specific thing. So I'm in. And I'm interested to talk with with Chris about this, but like I said, he's he's on assignment and we will pod a little bit later in the week. But I am as high on the 49ers as I've been in a long long time. And I'm having a blast watching this team. But let's talk about the defense real quick. What they did, what they did tonight was unbelievable. Eric Armstead, we'll start in the front. We'll just go front to back. Eric Armstead was stellar. There were, there's like two to three plays a game usually where you're like, oh, wow, Eric Armstead. There were seven or eight plays tonight where Eric Armstead just blew the pocket up from the jump. And when he's playing like that, not only is he an effective pass rusher and obviously a very good run stopper, but 
it makes life so much tougher for the offensive line because they can't now help on Nick Bosa because they need to fly in and help on Eric Armstead. And you're getting one-on-ones with Nick Bosa on the outside. And Nick Bosa was a terror on Thursday Night Football. If there was any argument you needed for why he should be the defensive player of the year, you got an argument against Miami and you got another one tonight. That Miami game, he had three sacks. Tonight, he had one. Should have had two. But, I should have had multiple. But there was another one where there was a, he forced a pick six by getting to Geno Smith and he got called for a roughing the passer. Really ticky-tack roughing the passer. Disagreed with the call. I usually, on those, I'll usually be like, well, you know, don't love the call, but that's the rule. That's one where it's like, that's not even the rule. That's just a bad call. That's not a bad rule. That's a just a flat-out bad call. Took points off the board for the 49ers. They still won and wound up not mattering. But Nick Bosa was a terror all night. Samson Abraham was good. Charles Omenehu got in the mix. They were just very, very good up front. And I think it started with number 91 and, of course, number 97. Nick Bosa is the best defensive player in the league. He should win the Defensive Player of the Year award. And doing that on national TV, on the road, in a division-clinching game, that's the kind of stuff that gets you on radar for that type of award. I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't win it. In the second level is Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Again, Dre Greenlaw flipped the game, I thought, with his forced fumble on Travis Homer. About a minute left in the first half. Seattle's driving. The Niners are going to get the ball to open the second half. But it's a 7-3 game. Niners offense has stagnated a little bit. Seattle started to move the ball some. And they're looking to go either kick a field goal to make it a one-point game at the half or go in and maybe take the lead before the half. And Geno Smith checks it down to Travis Homer. Dre Greenlaw flies in. So as Jimmy Ward got there first, but Dre Greenlaw flew in and just put his shoulder pad on the ball. Ball pops out right to Gervarius Ward. Ward takes it to the six. And then Christian McCaffrey punches it in two plays later. 14-3 Niners going into the half. And that's what turns the game because the Niners got the ball at halftime. They go out two plays, 54-yard touchdown to George Kittle. It's 21-3. And that was all they needed. If they score 21 points, there are not that many teams that are going to outscore them with this defense. And even the touchdown the Niners defense gave up was just kind of a couple defensive lapses. And I think it was late in the game because they were worried about trying to keep guys in bounds. And it was um, just not their, not their, not their best set of reps. But I mean, 21 is going to win them a lot of games. And you saw it tonight. So Drew Greenlaw, Fred Warner, again, really good. And I think when they hold, when they force quarterbacks to hold onto the ball, a split second longer than they're used to. That's just that's that's night night with their defensive line. Their defensive line is always good, but it's great when they're getting the type of coverage they get in the second level with Warner and Greenlaw. And Aziz Alshire early in the game, you saw the Seahawks try to run a screen to kind of mitigate the Niners' pass rush a little bit, and Alshire flew in and blew it up. Like just no chance. It, it never had a chance to develop. And that's just what they do. They're so instinctual. They're so fast. They're just built to play in the modern NFL. They have a three linebackers, Warner, Greenlaw, and Aziz Alshire. They have three linebackers that what I I'm, I believe they would be top two linebackers on any of the 32 teams. Fred Warner, obviously. Dre Greenlaw, obviously. But I think Aziz Alshire is there as well. 
Traverius Ward, very good again. Diamador Lenore, like I said, should have had a pick six, but it was called back because of that roughing penalty. Diamador Lenore being good is kind of a game changer for the Niners. Because Emmanuel Mosley went down and it was a little bit like, man, what are they going to do? Like, what are they going to do at this spot? And Lenore came in. He was not great his rookie year. In fact, remember in Seattle, he gave up three catches on three targets for 39 yards and a touchdown and got pulled in that game. And Ambry Thomas took over and, and never relinquished that spot. But Lenore has come in and been very, very good. He was good again tonight. Um, Traverius Ward ended up leaving the game with a, he was evaluated for a concussion, got cleared, but Shanahan did not put him back in the game because he said it just didn't feel right, which I think is super admirable. Getting away from football for a second, just from a human standpoint, that is remarkable from Kyle Shanahan because I don't think there's that many coaches that would do that. They would say, this is a division game. I need my best players. Traverius Ward is going to go out there, and he's cleared. He's good to go. Doctors say he's good. It's it's good. He's going to go. But Shanahan held him out, and I applaud the hell out of him for that because that's a really hard thing to do. Janoris Jenkins, veteran corner, came in. He's played a ton of football. I think he's played 143 games or something like that. It's crazy. He's played a lot of football. But this was his 2022 debut. He's been on the Niners practice squad for a couple weeks. But came in, he was fine. There was there were no uh, there were no major disasters with without Traverius Ward in the lineup. And shout out to Kyle Shanahan for not putting his guy potentially in danger. Another really good Jimmy Ward game. He continues to to be great in the slot. And then it was uh, Talanoa Hufanga. He had a big hit on on Geno Smith earlier in the game. And for Tayshawn Gibson, not allowing Ricard, uh, not Ricardo Lockett, but uh, Tyler Lockett, Ricardo Lockett, uh, 49ers legend. Shout out to him. But not allowing Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf to get deep. Not that Geno Smith would have had a ton of time to, to get rid of a deep ball anyways, but not allowing that one weird play because it was, I mean, it was 21 to six until there were like three and a half minutes left in the, in the fourth quarter when the Seahawks punched in a touchdown. But it was one of those games where it felt like the entire time, man, you know what? Something weird's going to happen. Like, this is Seattle. <laughs> Something weird always happens in Seattle, right? And it was like, man, a weird Tyler Lockett, like 60-yard touchdown or a DK Metcalf long touchdown could really just kind of flip this game on its ear, and they and, and it never happened. Huge credit to, like I said, not only the Niners defensive line, but their secondary as well. Just a really good all-around team performance in a game where Brock Purdy, was he perfect? No. Was he great? Not even going to call it that. But he was functionally very good, and he did exactly what the 49ers needed him to do. He got lucky with the dropped interception, but there were no other dangerous throws like that. Thought his decision-making was good all night. He had the huge conversion on that third and one with 242 left. Um, hats off to Brock Purdy for being as good as he was. And now the 49ers are NFC West champs. If you had told me, so let's take a look back as we as we get ready to wrap up here. They lose to the Chiefs. They get blown out 44-23. to They get smoked by the Chiefs after losing by two touchdowns to the Falcons. They're banged up. They're 3-4. and four. They have no idea. They're, they're injured. Their quarterback situation's in flux going into the future. Jimmy Garoppolo's not playing great. And it just kind of looked like, man, this is a, this is a crash course or a collision course to maybe going 10-7. and seven and maybe sneaking into the playoffs, and man, this just looks a lot like last year. Well, since then, they've won seven in a row. 
And it's wild to think if they had gone three, if you'd said after they went to three and four, like, hey, it's okay. Brock Purdy's going to start in week 15 in Seattle. <laughs> it'd been like, okay, either Jimmy got hurt or things have gone horribly wrong. And they're certainly not playing for the division crown. But that's what happened. And Brock Purdy is effectively three and out. Because remember, he came into that Dolphins game, it was seven to three Dolphins. And he led him to that 33 17 win. So he's effectively 3-0 and and just continues to just, again, we talked about this. Chris and I talked about this last week, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more once uh, once our pod drops. I believe our pod's going to drop Monday, uh, the one we're going to record together. But it's just it's raising the floor because the ceiling with Brock Purdy, we know is in his rookie year is probably not going to be astronomical. But can the floor just keep getting elevated? Can he keep shrinking that gap between the best and the worst? Because all the Niners need from Brock Purdy is not even his best game on week-in, week-out basis. You would love it. You'd love if he's going to go 16 of 22 and 200-plus yards, a couple touchdowns, no picks. You would love that every single week. But, I mean, realistically, any quarterback, you're not going to get their best performance every week. So can can they can they win with, his, with a C-minus game from Brock Purdy? And with their defense as good as it is and with their offensive weapons, I absolutely think they can. And Thursday night proved it. It was on the road. He was compromised. He was hurt. And then Josh Johnson ready to go. I mean, that's, that's, they, they were, they were, I believe, dangerously close to Brock Purdy not playing. And he goes on the road to a really tough environment and wins. It was extremely impressive. And to bounce back from a couple of early mistakes, to stay poised, to make big plays down the stretch. I mean, I the, a lot of boxes got checked. Now the rest of my boxes are postseason boxes. And we'll cross those bridges when we get there. So what does it look for like for the 49ers on Sunday? Well, let me tell you. They are currently the three seed. And because they hold the tiebreaker over Tampa Bay, the 49ers are the three seed at worst. So they will host a playoff game for sure, which uh, was always going to be the case if they won the division, which they have now. But because they hold the head-to-head tiebreaker over Tampa Bay, who's now 6-7, and seven, Tampa Bay's best possible record, 10-7, and seven, Niners' worst possible record, 10-7. and seven. So if Tampa Bay goes 10-7, and seven, they win the NFC South. But the 49ers, even if they lose out, which I don't think they will, but even if they lose out, they finish 10-7. and seven. They hold that tiebreaker with Tampa Bay, so they can finish no worse than the number three seed. Now, this is where things get interesting. Minnesota, they are currently the number two seed. They're a half game up on the 49ers. They're 10 and 3. The 49ers should be rooting big for the Colts this weekend. The Colts are at Minnesota. That is a um 1 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. So it's the oh, I'm sorry, no. 10 a.m kickoff on Saturday. It's 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. If the Colts win that game, if Jeff Saturday's Colts go in and win that game, the 49ers will exit this weekend as the number two seed. And they're not locked into that. They have to, but they would be tied with the Vikings at 10 and four, and they would hold the tiebreaker because if they don't have the head-to-head, it goes to conference record. And the 49ers have a better record in the NFC than the Vikings do. So this is a significant weekend for the 49ers because if they are the two seed, if they can jump up to that number two spot and then hold on to it, which Kyle Shanahan said after the game, 
he said that they're playing for the best seed. This is not going to be a thing where over their final four weeks, or I'm sorry, their final three weeks now, you're going to see them rest Christian McCaffrey this game and, oh, you know, George Kittle's going to sit out this game and they're going to hold out Debo Samuel through week 18, which I think they still might, but that's that's a different conversation. We can light that firecracker when we get to it. But they're going to play for the two seed. And if they're the two seed, they guarantee that assuming they win, they don't hit the road until the NFC Championship game. And I think if you're going to start a, as, as good as Brock Purdy's been, the playoffs are a different beast. And like I said, I, those are boxes that he'll need to check once he gets there. But I I firmly believe that the 49ers want to play as many home games as they can with Brock Purdy in the playoffs and delay that road environment as long as possible. And if Philly happens to lose in the divisional round, well, then the Niners host the NFC Championship game. Again, assuming they they win. There's a there's a lot of a lot of mountains to climb before that. Metaphors. But if Minnesota loses, the 49ers will finish this weekend as the number two seed. That's what you need to know. They've clinched no worse than number three. Which, with a rookie quarterback in the playoffs, that's a big deal. And just honestly, like, let me take off the analytics or analyst hat for a second. And just as somebody who follows the 49ers and and grew up loving the 49ers and through kind of the prime of being my Niner fandom in my in my early 20s, when so I was born in 90, so the Harbaugh 49ers were like my peak, like, Holy shit, like maximum football. Shout out to Damon Bruce. But even even then, the Niners were losing to the Seahawks. Like 2012, they got lambasted there in a Sunday night game, and then they lose there in 2013, and then they lose there in the NFC Championship game, and then after that, the wheels fell off for the 49ers while the while the Seahawks and Russell Wilson stayed competitive and just kicked the holy crap out of the Niners for a decade. Seeing the Niners win the NFC Championship game in 2019 in Seattle was very satisfying. Or not the NFC Championship game, but winning the NFC West in Seattle in Week 17 with Dre Greenlaw's goal line stop, very satisfying. Doing it again with Brock Purdy on Thursday Night Football on national TV again, going in and beating Pete Carroll, who is responsible for so many painful moments for 49ers fans, doing it with Brock Purdy, doing it with Nick Bosa showing out, doing it with George Kittle showing out, Christian McCaffrey coming up huge, midseason acquisition, being the best offensive player that day. Eric Armstead, who's been through the mud with this team, having a great game, that was one of the most satisfying wins I can remember for 49ers fans in a long, long time. And just to kind of kick the crap out of Seattle, too. You know, it was 21-13. It was a one-score game. But the Niners were just so clearly the better team. And even if Brock Purdy hadn't gotten that third and one, they punted it back to the Seahawks with a couple minutes left and they had a timeout, I don't think Seattle was scoring. And that's just kind of where the Niners are right now. That's why I think that this is a team that can go to the Super Bowl. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't think I'm alone in that. Maybe maybe if you're with me, maybe we're both crazy. But the, the fact that they played this game they played tonight 
was just further proof to what I said earlier. Even a C-minus game from Brock Purdy can get the 49ers a W. Not that Thursday night was a C-minus game, but I think his C-minus game will be good enough that with this defense, they can still pull out a win. That's where Jimmy Garoppolo was, right? Like, he had some really good games, but even his worst game, like, he did not play well. He was, he was, you know, he got hurt in the Cowboys game, but in Green Bay last year, divisional round, did not play well, was not a productive quarterback. But the Niners still pulled out a win. That's the that's where Brock Purdy needs to get. Like, that's it. And right now, he's there. And that's very exciting for a team that's on their third quarterback, and he happens to be the last pick of the draft and a rookie. It's fun. This is fun as hell. I'm having a blast. And I hope you're all having a blast as well. Thank you, everybody who listens to this podcast on a regular basis. If this is your first time listening... I really appreciate it. We would love if you would subscribe. This is one of my favorite things to do. I'm going to speak for Chris. I, I think he enjoys it. I'm going to speak for him and say it's it's one of his favorite things to do as well. I have such a good time doing this, and it's, uh, it's y'all that listen and subscribe and review and hit us up and doing bits with us on Twitter. That just makes it that much more fun. And the fact that Niners are now the NFC West champs, and we're going to be talking about this through January or at least into mid-January, that's that's gonna be it's gonna be a great time and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So I from the bottom of my heart appreciate y'all. And for anyone who's come up and said what's up in public or like I said, hit us up online, that's uh that's super dope and it's always super fun. And now I'm getting emotional because uh that's where I'm at mentally after uh, after coming down from, from the high of that game. That was super fun. I had a blast. And that's what this is. I know we argue. I know we bicker. I know people yell at each other on the internet or in person. And you argue with your friends. And you debate about who's going to be the quarterback and this and that. But, bro, this is such a good time. This is football. And it's fun as shit. So, shout out to you guys. Shout out to Chris. Shout out to Tyler, our editor. I'm sending this to him at, like... 10:45 at night on a Thursday and my guess is he will have it up for you uh, in the morning and that's super dope as well so shout out to Tyler shout out to Chris shout out to all you guys appreciate it get us the Chronicle subscribe rate review coopersbrewing.com shout out Cooper's Brewing our sponsor we love them as well see you Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.